welcome to Finding Ohm, a podcast about mental health and how it relates to spirituality and science. This podcast is designed for those of us looking for the answers to questions about how we can incorporate spiritual and scientific concepts into our daily lives with the goal of improving our mental health and that of others. I'm your host, Dr. Prashant Sharma. I'm a psychiatrist, and I'm delighted to bring you this show. I wanted to do an episode on the basics of depression as I feel like it is at times misunderstood as a syndrome and the term itself depression gets thrown around a lot. So what we're going to do today is take it apart piece by piece. In this, we will also be looking at the four perspectives of psychiatry, which is a good model to look at almost any psychiatric disorder. Since we'll be talking about a psychiatric topic today, just as a reminder, as always, none of this is medical or psychiatric advice and it is for educational purposes only. If you need assistance with depression, please make sure to talk to your doctor or therapist. Now, when I'm talking about depression today, I'll be speaking about common features and generalities. Keep in mind, there can be wide variations in how depression itself manifests. So first we have to decide what we're talking about when we're saying depression. Now, we don't wanna think about something as abnormal when it isn't. It is certainly normal to have a low mood when we're confronted by stressors in life, like failing an exam, getting our hours cut at work, breaking up from a relationship, things like that. But this is usually a period of low mood that lasts for a set period of time, and there is recovery from it. In clinical depression, which we call major depressive disorder, there is a significant lowering of mood for several weeks or months, along with a change in vital sense. And what is vital sense? Well, it may manifest as decreased attentiveness to work tasks, decreased energy or concentration, indecisiveness, or physical slowing. Individuals with clinical depression tend to also have a diminished self-attitude, which is a distinctly low self-esteem, which tends to manifest as feeling like he or she isn't a good parent, a good child, a good spouse, things like that, and it tends to come with feelings of guilt and hopelessness. Depression can also come along with other symptoms, including difficulty sleeping or excessive sleeping. So it can come with insomnia, where the person has racing thoughts and anxiety and can't sleep, or they might sleep for 14, 15 hours per day as a means of escape from the emotional pain. Sometimes depression will come with early morning anxiety, where the individual wakes up at 4 or 5 a.m. with sharp anxiety about the day ahead. Depressed individuals can also have diminished interests in activity and a lack of joy in hobbies that they used to love. This is called anhedonia. They may also have a lack of joy in spending time with their loved ones. It's a pretty significant change, and they'll mention that at baseline, they very much enjoy their hobbies and spending time with their family and friends, but that this is a significant change from how they usually feel. Now, we talked about guilt before. This is a common feature where the individual might think of events that happened in the past that often were out of their control, but they feel responsible for it in some way. I had a patient long ago who told me that many years prior, she had a coworker who had been fired, and several months before that, she forgot to remind him about a meeting, which he was subsequently absent for, and she felt like she was responsible for him getting fired. We can see this as an irrational thought, but the depressed brain doesn't see it as irrational. The depressed brain sees it as very much valid and reasonable. Another feature of depression is diminished energy and fatigue. 
Sometimes the low energy can be so significant that the individual actually moves slowly and speaks slowly. It is usually a profound change that some patients describe as being covered by a weighted blanket all the time or feeling like an elephant is sitting on their body, not allowing them to move. Now, although rare, an extreme version of this slowing is catatonia, in which the most severe depressions can lead to, where the individual doesn't move or speak at all, and this can last for days, weeks, even months. The person with depression can also have decreased concentration, focus, attention. They might find themselves reading paragraphs over and over again due to not being able to absorb the information, not being able to focus on conversations with friends or family, making mistakes at work where previously they didn't. An extreme form of this is something we see in elderly depressed patients where they can actually have problems with cognition and memory, making us believe that the individual has dementia when it might actually be these effects from depression. This is why a comprehensive psychiatric evaluation is especially needed. Appetite can also change drastically in depression where some individuals won't experience much of hunger pangs at all, where others may eat excessively to try to experience some form of pleasure. For some, it can also be a form of control, where everything else in life is unraveling. They try to exert some measure of control with their food intake. In severe depression, individuals can also have suicidal thoughts, which of course is the most concerning. This is a treacherous time when the depressed brain actually tricks the individual into thinking that they are better off dead. We can see how irrational this thought is, and I have observed in countless times in hundreds of patients who, at baseline, had full and rich lives, but in the throes of depression, they start thinking that perhaps they are a burden to their loved ones and that everyone might be better off without them. This can manifest as what we call a passive death wish, where the person feels like going to sleep and not waking up, but doesn't necessarily have a plan. And of course, the worst state is where the individual has both an intent and a plan. The goal of treating depression at a minimum is to prevent a person from reaching this point or relieving the suicidal ideation if they're already there. We can see by looking at these characteristics how crucial it is to get depression treated as it significantly diminishes the quality of people's lives, often leading to them not taking care of themselves and even developing physical problems. There are also myths about depression being a new age phenomenon and it is diagnosed excessively or something like that, which couldn't really be further from the truth. Depression has existed for thousands of years, as we can see in the writings of uh, different types of physicians, including the psychiatrists, neurologists, and more, also writings of patients and family members. There are countless examples of artwork from centuries ago in which the artist depicts prisons where there were psychiatric patients kept shackled in chains and not being taken care of due to not having any treatments available for them. Depression is real, and it is a medical problem that has significant impacts on individuals and the population. Now, at the beginning of the episode, I mentioned something called the four perspectives. This is a concept that was pioneered at Johns Hopkins where I trained in psychiatry, and it is a methodical way to look at any psychiatric illness, although of course today we will be focusing on its relation to depression. The four perspectives are as follows. The disease perspective, life story perspective, dimensional perspective, and behavioral perspective. 
So first let's look at the disease perspective. This mainly involves family history and genetics. We notice that in a lot of individuals with depression, we can trace through their families and find other family members with mood disorders. Not always, but it does tend to be a common finding. We also know from research that the genetic component itself of depression is significant. Now this has to do with genetic predictors that have been identified in the field, which honestly can be an episode by itself. Suffice it to say, there is a significant family history and genetic component to it all. Other examples of the disease perspective can be anything that is going on biologically, such as a history of traumatic brain injury. Individuals with a history of uh, TBI or head injuries in the past have an increased likelihood of having mood issues like irritability and depression. Another example of a disease component is the significant depression we're finding in post-COVID patients, especially COVID long-haul patients, where they tend to have features similar with folks who have had traumatic brain injuries in the past and subsequent irritability and depression, as well as problems with concentration. The life story perspective is what the individual has been through in their lives that either predisposes them to depression, worsens it, or triggers it. This can be a history of trauma, either in the distant past or recent. It can also simply be life losses that occur in one's life that trigger an episode of depression. For instance, a person might have a history of depressive episodes, but they're fairly sporadic and they haven't required medication, but they experience a death in their family and it changes their life trajectory drastically, which leads to a severe depression requiring treatment, whether it's medication, therapy, or both. This alteration in trajectory is an important concept in how I understand the life story perspective. There may be somebody who is doing quite well in life overall, but a difficult life event occurs completely derailing them from where they were going previously. The dimensional perspective is essentially an individual's personality traits. This has a significant impact on depression, either positively or negatively depending on the traits. Now, this discussion really depends on what assessment of personality we're using, but for the purposes of this discussion, I'm going to use the NEO-AC personality test. Five components of personality, including neuroticism, extroversion, openness, agreeableness, and conscientiousness. Now, this also can be an episode by itself, so I'm not gonna go into all of the factors, but I'm only gonna go into neuroticism which tends to have a significant role in depression. So this is simplifying it, but in one sentence. Neuroticism is the tendency for an individual to experience negative emotions like anxiety, depression, anger, self-consciousness, irritability, emotional instability, and more. This is a spectrum, so an individual can be high on neuroticism, low on neuroticism, or anywhere in between. As you might guess, an individual who scores highly on neuroticism has a greater predisposition to those negative emotions and hence clinical depression itself. On the other hand, an individual who scores low on neuroticism may be less predisposed or may have a greater ability to bounce back from these types of negative emotions, but it certainly doesn't make them immune from depression. Now this is just one aspect of personality, so there is a lot more to discuss in the future, but this trait is one of the most important ones. Last but not least, the behavioral perspective. And this is what an individual does. Now, traditionally with this perspective, we tend to think about substances. A lot of people might use substances to self-treat their symptoms, or it might be a separate motivation altogether. For instance, an individual might be trying to use alcohol to escape the depression, 
or lower their anxiety. The problem, of course, is that alcohol only gives a temporary euphoria and actually leads to a worsening of depression and also disrupts the sleep architecture. So this behavior, the thing that the person is doing, is in fact worsening the depression and can interfere with any medications or therapy going on from improving their mood. But that's one aspect of the behavioral perspective. We all have negative behavioral patterns that we fall into. Eating unhealthy foods, not exercising or staying active, staying to ourselves a bit more than normal, whatever those behaviors might be. Now in depression, individuals can fall into negative behavioral and thought patterns that worsen the depression or prevent them from getting better. For instance, depression can cause a person to self-isolate and not leave their home, but over time it becomes a negative behavior pattern that even when the depression has improved from a symptom standpoint, they still need to break out of the pattern to fully get better. I think it's helpful to apply a concept to this. If someone has a ligament tear, they can be put on anti-inflammatory medication, doing the usual rest and icing the injury, but physical therapy is a big part of recovery, including homework given by the physical therapist, basically exercises to do at home. Now, someone who has had this type of injury may have been immobile for weeks, so they need to break out of this pattern and do the exercises to regain their mobility and recondition themselves. The same concept applies to depression, which is why sometimes we will recommend behavioral activation exercises to break out of those negative patterns. So we covered a lot today about depression. We discussed the manifestations and symptoms, how it can really impact a person's life in many different ways, which also leads to a ripple effect on the people around them. We discussed the four perspectives, which is an intuitive way of looking at depression as a clinical disorder. Not to mention, we discussed how long depression has been around, which is important especially to fight against the stigma which still surrounds it around the world. I do hope that this episode was informative and helpful. All right, folks, that's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Our podcast is available on Google, Spotify, and Apple, so make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening. For now, have a wonderful rest of your week, and till next time, friends. Bye.